0: Welcome to another episode of the Rippling Pages podcast, Great Writers Making Waves. With the word, all in conversation with me, Liam Bishop, and today I'm joined by Jacqueline Bishop. She's a writer who has published novels, poems, essays, as well as being an artist exhibiting works of visual art and photography. Jacqueline is also a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. But she joins me today to discuss her collection of interviews with Jamaican women writers. The Gift of Music and Song, published by People Tree Press. All of these interviews were originally published in the Jamaica Observer. Monique Roffey said of the collection, Bishop is the Larry King of the Caribbean. She's not letting these women be forgotten. Born in Kingston, Jamaica, Bishop usually lives in New York. But she joined me from London for this episode. These interviews were published over a period of time, and I just wondered if you can give us Uh, a bit of the background as to how the interview series started, your expectations at the time and how it feels to see them all collated and published in this book now in 2021.
1: Firstly, thank you so much for having me on your program. Um, It's great to be here. Um, Thanks for your interest in this book um, on Jamaican women writers. Um, um I appreciate it and I appreciate it on behalf of all the women in the book and all the women who are not in the book who are writers and women from Jamaica. <laughs> um, so I never conceptualized it as a book um, so uh, to begin with. I mean, I guess I, there, there are various ways to answer this question. One is that I've always been interested in the interview as a format in and of itself. And um, that interest has expressed itself in oral history. And I have a book before this, My Mother Who Is Me, Life Stories from Jamaican Women in New York. So that could probably be one place where this came together. And I also started a, a journal when I was a grad student at New York University, where I'm now A professor and that was called Calabash a Journal of Caribbean Arts and Letters and um, an integral component of that journal was of course interviews the core of the interviews from this book however came about when I was talking to Sharon Leach who is um, a writer in Jamaica and also the editor of the bookend section um, of the Jamaica Observer. And we got to talking about the lack of interviews, particularly from women writers. We couldn't find um, any interviews from our women writers. And so we we did a series several years ago, about five years ago, uh, one summer, and we kind of, we really liked it. And about three or four years ago, we did another series. and. Um, it really picked up momentum, and most of the books came from there. Most of the interviews came from there, that went on to form the book.
0: I mean, yeah, it's 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 all about Jamaican women writers. Um, there are some you know, more established names than others now, I guess, in terms of you know, there's Lorna Goodison in there, um, and then there's names such as Olive Senior and Kerry Young, but. The interview as an art form, I wonder if you see it at, in a really empowering way to represent artists, or is it more just to do with the kind of articulation of ideas and, and influence?
1: Um, I actually really like the interview um, as an art form, and would be happy to talk to you as to why I think it's an art form that oftentimes is misunderstood um, as such. Um, I understand it as a way in which to get the the creator in what we're talking about here, the writer to really articulate their vision, not only for a work or a body of work, but what it is that how they see what they're doing um, and what they're producing and their role, how they're functioning in society. And so those are some of the things that I am trying to get them to engage with in the interview, um, to really look at their work now that they have created it and can stand outside of it, but to get them to really uh, try to conceptualize what this work is about and the impetus behind creating this work, right? Where does this work come from? Um, uh, what, what goes into feeding this work? Those are some of the things that I'm trying to get at. I think the interview is a misunderstood art form actually uh, because interviews, as far as I am concerned, um, should have a clear arc, you know, a clear uh, beginning, middle and end and uh, the interview should be more about the interviewee than the interviewer. <laughs> and um, oftentimes I'm reading interviews and those things get very confused uh, as I'm reading them. And I think, oh, right. I, I don't know, understand if people you know, who are conducting interviews, oftentimes some of these people understand that this like a short story, like a poem, is an art form.
0: I hope this doesn't sound too kind of uh, a meta, meta interview to listeners, as, you know, an interview about interviews, but uh, at least definitely uh, listeners will have a kind of uh, benchmark to which to assess my technique, at least for this episode. But, I mean, as a kind of, the interview is a cultural product then. Is there something within lacking within the culture that we don't have where artists get the opportunity to talk about, you know, stand outside themselves? Is is this a kind of cultural problem we have? I think
1: that um, some people get interviewed too much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we hear from some voices too often, and we hear some perspectives predominate, right? Um, I clearly got the sense from some of the women in this book Um, that they weren't sure if they were going to get this opportunity again. And so they were really going to give it the best shot they got. And something else that I should make clear that I I didn't um, articulate in the very first question you asked was, um, at the start of this journey, there was no uh, thinking on my part that this would become a book, right? These interviews for the most part were produced for a national newspaper in Jamaica. I felt myself and the women were lucky in that Sharon Leach dedicated pages of uh, um, the newspaper to hearing their voices and their words. So this was going to be a long form interview and they were going to be read by thousands of people across the island of Jamaica, and some of these interviews, uh, I think, here and there made it online. Uh, what this meant was that, on the one hand, I couldn't speak down to my audience, but at the other ta- on the other hand, I couldn't be so esoteric in my questioning that um, a broad um, body of people could not quite understand what I was doing, which, is, which can be another problem with the interview form, is that it is so hermetic and um, uh, so dense that it's hard for, for someone to penetrate. Right? This was not conceived as a book. <laughs> you know? Um, what happened along the way was as these interviews were coming out and everybody was being astonished and beginning to realize that in truth and in fact there had never been interviews by many of these women before um, people took to social media and started saying they thought this was a book it never occurred to me it never occurred to Sharon Leach that this was a book and then uh, Jeremy Pointing came to us and said, would we want to publish it as a book? That's how the book came about.
0: I thought it was a really interesting, the book itself is a really interesting document on influence uh, because throughout the writers reference one another. They kind of, you know, sort of name dropping other writers that featuring the book, not always the case, but as being influences on their work. And there's this wonderful sense of acknowledgement between the writers uh, and also acknowledgement of the interview series. And I wondered if this was why nurturing and healing were words, which seemed to crop up and recur in the interviews. Um, and I wondered if this was something you were aware of when you were doing the interviews, you know, sort of in real time, as it were.
1: No, I wasn't aware of this. And um, I'm deeply moved actually to hear you say this um, uh, because, because that's actually quite meaningful to me. Um, I think that, um, as one of the outcomes of the book of the book that someone's pointing out, that's actually a quite a, a quite um, quite important thing, you know, um, because oftentimes uh, these these are not voices that are are some of the, the voices have gone on to be acknowledged all over the place. but uh, some of the voices people are just hearing for the very first time. And the sense that uh, we do not have to trample on each other um, to to amplify each other, and we can actually hold and nurture each other. Um, To hear that a reader um, outside of our region and outside of our world um, picks this up is is quite a beautiful thing. Um, The second thing that I, I want to say is I'm going to speak personally as a writer now <laughs> right of course, yeah. Um, because i myself i'm a fiction writer and a poet i remember when i was doing the interview with um hazel campbell who we just lost um she's the only one who we have lost um before the book got published um i was slightly overwhelmed you know because um hazel campbell like um Lorna Goodison, like Olive Senior, like Jean De Costa, all these women were women who I had either read as in high school on the island or um, had read in co- on my own as I, I sought to be, to find my voice or in grad school, in college or something like that. And it it was a slightly overwhelming experience, especially you know Hazel Campbell, Jean Da Costa, for example. Uh, these were overwhelming experiences for me because um, these these were writers that were part of my childhood. <laughs> you know, oh,
0: sure, I had yeah. grown up
1: with them. These these were the first generation, actually of. Um, Uh, of Jamaican women writers, in a sense. And um, I I had looked so much to them, the first set of women in this book, um, to to find a voice, you know, and to to find a vision and to find my own way as uh, as an artist and as a writer. And how do I do this, (laughs) you know? And um, so it, 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 it really was a quite overwhelming experience. Now, the women in the second and the, the third half of the book, I mean, things are a little bit more fluid than I'm putting it, are more in line with my age group of women. And so naturally, if I am doing, going through this process, I suspect they're doing the same as well. And so there are all these interlocking moments of women referencing other women, which is, I think, what you're talking about in
0: the book. There's, there's so many levels to it that you that you allude to there but um yeah I mean Hazel um passed away on 12th of December 2018 but it's the title The Gift of Music and Song which gives the title to the book is there something to say seek out a voice when we're in a particular stage in our careers as artists or writers or a particular time in our life
1: I oftentimes wonder um, the Hazel Campbells of this world, they, the kind of um, burgeoning nationalist movement that they were part of that gave the region its literature, <laughs> right? Um, um, the women who came of age and uh, who, was, who were born after 1930 and um, they, they gave us a, a, a nationalist literature in the, the region, the Lorna Goodisons, the, Olive Seniors, the Jean Costas right? I oftentimes wonder, um, how did this happen, <laughs> you know? And by this, I mean, I understand that there were anti-colonial movements and people were saying we have to make our own art and whatnot, but I wonder who did they look to? And this is a long way around to answering your question, because um,
0: I think it's um, a long way to ask in the question. of. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't worry too much no. about that. <laughs>
1: um, because um, it is crucial to me to have them, to have these writers, uh, so that I can have a firm sense of who I am, so that I can move forward and read them in addition to anybody else that I might, might love right? Um, They are not the only writers that I look to now and that I love, right? Um, But I don't know how I would have found my way without them, (laughs) right? So I wonder how they found their way without them. (laughs) Um,
0: I mean, that's um, something that we can't glean too much. With our hints throughout the interviews of the kind of situations and context in which some of these writers were writing, one of the things that was re- there's a reference to the golden age of Caribbean writing and golden ages we talk about in national literatures. What kind of, you know, was, what was the golden age of Caribbean literature? Was it a kind of male dominated kind of canon or was it, you know, a more kind of, um, it was, you know, about all kind of voices from Caribbean literature? Okay. So
1: unlike your literature, which is actually my literature as well, um, being Jamaican, um, but British literature always had at its foundation female voices, right? The Jane Austens of this world and whatnot, right? Um, and I suspect part of the answer to the last question was that they some of these women found their voices through the voices of British women and Irish women and so forth. Um, uh, Our literature, um, Caribbean literature is heavily dominated by male voices, heavily dominated by male voices. So thank you again (laughs) for um, having this podcast and getting the word out on these women's voices. Um, and yes, uh, one or two women might go out and make a name for, their, for, for themselves. But if we're going to be talking about the, the golden age of Caribbean literature, there might be a Jean Rees here and there, but overwhelmingly, we are talking about Lamming and Walcott and Brathwaite and the boys, right? Um, so they're not, <laughs> there are no, no girls there, right? And they're very complex reasons. Having to do with this, but it's all steeped in a word that we don't like to use in the Caribbean. We don't like the word misogyny. We don't like it. We don't like the words sexism and we don't like the word misogyny.
0: You don't like it in the sense of it's not spoken about, it's not aired, it's not a discussion. About um, it's, it's, so, it's,
1: um, for example, don't mind me asking. Uh, we're having a big problem in Jamaica right now. Um, with women getting killed, right? And uh, um, the most notorious two cases uh, that happened within the last two months, last month actually was a young woman who uh, was on her way to work and was strangled and murdered by a neighbor ostensibly um, and a, a teacher, right, who was killed. Um, And there's all this talk about gender based violence and you know, and I'm thinking this is not gender based violence, gender based violence is. um, uh, It can happen equally to men or women, this is misogyny people. This is directed at women. And why we have so much difficulty calling it misogyny and calling things sexism and blaming women for the things that happen to them in Jamaica is a discussion that we really need to forefront. Now, these. Um, issues find their their way into the literature as well, right? Um, I'm I'm reading books now. Women's vaginas are dropping out of them and all sorts of awful things are happening for books that are being praised. And I'm like, are, are you kidding me? Are people kidding me right now, (laughs) right? Why is it when these things are perpetuated on the bodies of white women? It's so clear to see that this is misogyny, but when it comes to the bodies of um, black Jamaican women and other women of color, we just find every other word, but calling it what it is, right? So these are some of the positions that we find ourselves in as Jamaican women writers, for example. What, the difference that I notice is that um, in London or in New York, you will have more voices. I'm not saying that there aren't some voices in Jamaica saying this, but you'll have more voices calling it what it is, right? Saying this is misogyny, this is sexism, this is hatred towards women. That's the difference that I see.
0: Now believe it or not, this is the last episode of the Finding Room Series, Series 1 of the Rippling Pages podcast. I'm going to be back very soon with more great writers making waves with the word for Series 2. But until then, if you'd like to keep up to date with what's going on with the Rippling Pages podcast, give us a follow at rippling underscore pages on Instagram, that's rippling underscore pages. You can follow me, Liam Bishop, on Twitter if you like, at Liam H. Bishop, that's at Liam H. Bishop, or drop us an email at the rippling pages pod at gmail.com. And let's talk about, I want to talk about Jamaica as well and the kind of place it is to write. As you kind of alluded to there, um, some of the kind of issues that it, you know women are faced by in Jamaica, not just Jamaican women writers. But I want to talk about the writers' engagement with Jamaica in their work and I guess your engagement with jamaica as well because you state in the forward one of the main things these interviews have in common is all our engagements with the island of jamaica no matter where we are writing from. what we just discussed there um i wondered what your understanding of jamaica is now how it might have changed as a result of these interviews did you have your perspective changed as a result of these interviews
1: Well, I'll just say that the interviews continue, (laughs) right? And um, this uh, year, uh, we did interviews with British women whose parents came from Jamaica. What what I've noticed is that uh, throughout the process of putting together this book, Um, Jamaica is not one thing. Jamaica is not one place. Um, My understanding of Jamaica deepened as um, we came to know, uh, as we did these interviews and the interview series is enormously popular in Jamaica. It's also enormously popular outside of Jamaica as well. And I think the reason why it's so, 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 so popular, if you look at the interview of Pamela Mordecai, for example, right, what Pamela Mordecai has done is fold the history of Kingston into her interview, right, quite skillfully, right, and so while you're reading her interview and it's personal and it's personal to her and whatnot, you come away with a sense of an enlargement of Kingston, like, oh, you know. And so people oftentimes will say, I, 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 they have one of two reactions. They either say, I remember that or I did not know that, right? You, you, you get a sense that you're getting to know this place deeper and more. Um, I, I need to say something because I've, I've spent some time talking about the problems of Jamaica, the misogyny of Jamaica and whatnot. The interviews also show us everything that's just right about Jamaica as well and everything that's good about Jamaica as well. That's something that um, you kind of picked up on. And I've done one or two interviews, and uh, this didn't come up before, which is about nurturing and kindness and love, you know, and generations. Um, the other thing, too, is just the sheer beauty of the place and the vibrancy of the place. Interviewees seem astonished by Jamaica over and over and over again. And me as the interviewer, I, 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 I don't think I can ever, ever, ever be bored by what I learn about Jamaica. And so I would think, I, and even as I do more interviews, it's just a deepening of this, of a, a kind of richness that you come away with knowing about Jamaica, you know, in all its flaws and, it's, and in all its glories.
0: Yeah, we've spoken about some of the, the, the darker sides of Jamaica and, um, and that's what I didn't want to get away from really, because you really get a sense of that it's a beautiful place and it's a fertile place for inspiration. And it is important that to these writers, isn't it, that they are from Jamaica. And I think one of the things where I picked up on this is some of the, quite a few of the interviews, you asked the writers to speak about themselves and sometimes you ask them to go back to the start, and what I noticed that is, people were able to people spoke uh, very specifically, gave street names, gave place names, um, and then went into these really kind of rich and and you know very visual anecdotes about events in childhood, in life, about family members, and you really got a sense of the kind of pride of being a writer in or just being a you know a citizen of Jamaica, and I wonder if this was something that you what you picked up on or. It's something like you said that you experienced within yourself.
1: So this is something that people have wondered about for a long time, and I think I have an answer to this. Right? I think I have an answer to this. Um, and uh, people have wondered why is it that Jam- Jamaicans we we there's such a national spirit in Jamaicans. Jamaicans take pride in being Jamaican, right? Um, uh, where does this come from, right? Um, and I, I, I think there are, are a couple of ways that it is built into us. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story and you'll understand this a little bit more. And of course, all of this comes out in the interviews, this kind of, of um, national pride that um, in being Jamaican. When I... Migrated to the United States. I remember um, saying to uh, an American. So what's your national bird? And what's your national flower? And what's your national this? And what's your national that? And what's your national this? Right? And they were like, national bird? Uh, uh, you know, what, what national flower are you talking about? And whatnot. Now, these are things that every school child knows in Jamaica, right? Every school child knows this, right? Every school child knows this. And when you are in Jamaica, um, especially when I was growing up, school challenge quiz was a big thing, right? Uh, now that I'm living here, I see that you we must have gotten it from you, right? the the sports um days were a big thing and championships that produced the usain bolts of this world are a big thing right um and so all of these things come together to reggae music you know all of these things come together to impute in the jamaican a, a, a fierce nationalist pride right um, and so right along with all the things that are problematic uh, is this fierce pride and love of Jamaica, right, um, that you'll find in the Jamaican, right, and in all these writers as well.
0: I wonder if this is sort of what feeds into... It seems like a lot of the writers that you feature and a lot of artists, or women artists at least in Jamaica, are faced with a choice or perhaps it's not explicitly a choice, but there's a difficult reality of being uh, a woman writer in Jamaica that you might have have to leave Jamaica to, you know, get make enough money to to sort of live as an artist. Um, and again, I get wonder if that tied into this 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 sort of dichotomy or this um, tension between this kind of lovely, kind of fertile place of inspiration, but actually the reality of being a woman artist. What I
1: notice is that. Uh, An older generation of Jamaican writers who probably um, were around for independence and all of that um, uh, struggle more with that decision than younger writers do. (laughs) Right? Um, The older writers give various reasons as to why they never planned to leave, but ended up leaving, you know, that was never their plan. And the younger writers are more blunt about it (laughs) you know um the younger writers um basically uh feel that um look if i have to i have to go where i can make my way (laughs) you know Um, I, i feel it's a personal choice to be away from the island you know and that i can go back if i want to the fact of the matter is that when I'm actually there, I, I miss the things of my life elsewhere, you know? Um, and that's the tension for me, um, is that when I'm in Jamaica, I, power cuts and all of this is, is you know, um, I'm never sure if I'm going to be able to make this meeting that I'm, I'm, I, I've set up to have. And, you know, that insecurity is hard for me to deal with because I've lived in a place that is much more secure for me. But I, I see, but, but which is not to say I'm not incredibly nostalgic for Jamaica. I always am nostalgic for Jamaica. Maybe now that I have a little place in Miami, that nostalgia will go away a little
0: bit. Okay. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Um, but you, I mean, you do write about, you've written about Jamaica yourself and it features in your work. And for instance, I've been rereading your novel, uh, River Song um and I, you know even there there's that sense it's set within jamaica but there's also this kind of it's it's a it's a kind of girl isn't it coming into the world and um there's this sense of this kind of you know incredibly lovely place and the kind of natural features of, of, of jamaica and you know you've written about as well you know about um how you, you you had relatives in a place called nonsuch was it which is a very small village in the mountains
1: so Nonsuch is very, very important to me and only becoming more and more so actually. Um, so Nonsuch is a tiny district high in the mountains of Portland and you have to go high up in the mountains to find it. It's actually a tiny place of like 250 people high up, very idyllic mountainside pool, two rivers, mermaid. Mermaids live in the river, I am told district in the river Song Luidas Vale. It's true, really Nonsuch. Uh, anybody who knows non-such knows it's really non-such. I would spend every holiday there with my grandmother, my great grandparents, and wonderful things. Um, I've done projects where I've brought Americans into non such and brought little non-such kids to America. Um, it's, it has a very famous cave with Taino markings on it, you know, it's the center of my my Eden. It's my Eden. Uh, There are snakes in Nonsuch too, (laughs) because it is Eden. You have a Nonsuch here as well (laughs) in London, (laughs) right? And the more I research it, I think we we got our name from you guys, (laughs) from the Nonsuch Palace and the Nonsuch Um, there's a non-such garden. And so I started to do some history, um, looking at the two communities and it's actually quite interesting, right? The connections between both places, right? This is why at one point earlier in the interview, I said, yeah, I wonder how those women, earlier women did it because you have this history this literature that that with women and its foundations but it's also my literature as well
0: it's that quote that you said in the book one of the main things these interviews have in common is all our engagements with the island of jamaica no matter where we are writing from and it's that idea of no matter where we are writing from um, and i wondered if it's always kind of there if it's always kind of a thing that um you know it, it seems to be the case with the women writers but for you as well. And I've wondered if it was an exploration that you had in interviewing these writers of some of your ideas of Jamaica and, and non-such in your kind of um, childhood or...
1: You know, it might very well be. I mean, I spent a year in Morocco on a Fulbright and what did I start doing? I started chasing a Jamaican writer, Claude McKay, in Morocco. Right? I get to London and what do I start doing? I started chasing non-such in London. I am personally fascinated by the reverberations of Jamaica all around this world, right? It's hard to go anywhere and not find Jamaica and Jamaicans, right? But I, I, I think that um, all the writers in this, in this um, volume here have their own stones that they're rubbing on in, that is Jamaica, they all have their own personal jamaicas that they are engaging with and sometimes they they overlap and sometimes they don't and so what what comes across is that jamaica is not it's a collage it's it's not a collage i'm sorry it's a patchwork
0: not to say that anything is too fixed but the book uh, the gift of music and song is It's a preservation, I think, for some of the writers that are, well, it's only Hazel that's not, Hazel Campbell that's not with us anymore, but it's a way of preserving uh, these writers, which I think is a very important uh, project, undoubtedly.
1: Well, Hazel knew of the book, right? And approved of the book. And Hazel knew um, of the cover of the book, uh, because actually the cover is its own story as well. Um, because it is, uh, on the cover is the work of a woman who we will never know who did this work. And, uh, it's the submerged, um, uh, needlework traditions that I, am do it, looking at in my thesis as well. And so I showed this to Hazel and she said, absolutely Jacqueline, absolutely my girl. And um, we had wonderful discussions about this book, even as she was dying. You know, she was very sick and she was dying. Um, And so the cover tells its own story of recovery and archiving, which I'm trying to tell with this book as well.
0: Monique Roffey, she put this as one of her cultural highlights, didn't she, in The Guardian?
1: Monique is a dear, dear, wonderful uh, person. Um, She has made my stay in the UK that much better. Um, But Monique herself was a little bit surprised when she got the book and saw how many Jamaican writers, um, Jamaican women writers, that she did not know that were in Jamaica. And like I said, I have a whole other bookload of writers that I've interviewed since then. I could publish another book of interviews. And so I thank Monique for um, um, that. I also read Monique's book and loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, uh, um, She would send me images and ask, what did I think of the cover and so forth and so on as she was getting ready to publish and whatnot.
0: Well, let's finish by talking about Elliot Bliss.
1: Elliot Bliss is (laughs) um, the last subject of an interview in this book. And I interview the Italian scholar who just had a book published on Elliot Bliss called Share Bliss by the University of the West Indies Press. Now I met Michaela Calderaro several years ago when I was starting a journal called Calabash, a Journal of Caribbean Arts and Letters. This woman asked to meet me. We met at the library at New York University Bobst. And in good old fashioned Italian way, she came talking with her hands as Italians do and telling me all about this woman called Elliot Bliss, who had never heard a word of before. She was telling me that there was this Jamaican writer from the turn of the century. Um, she was this white Creole writer, 18 something. And this woman had been a lesbian as well, openly lesbian. And she had published these books of fiction. And I, I thought, this, she's got to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> right. So it turns out she did know what she was talking about and we became the best of friends. And over these years, Michaela has worked tirelessly to bring Elliot Bliss and her novels back into focus. And we end this wonderful, um, what I hope will be the first volume of Jamaican women writers interviews with um, Michaela talking about all the work she did to recover Elliot Bliss and telling us exactly who Elliot Bliss was and the work she had done and you have to buy and read the book to find out more about Elliot Bliss
0: yeah is it in um is it due to be published she's writing at the moment is it or is it published now
1: it's published it's published all right
0: okay listeners out there and and I will definitely look I was it was just this is just the virtue of this book you just find out Not always the writer that's been interviewed, just other writers that get referenced. And the story of Elliot Bliss um, is one that definitely is worth uh, reading. Uh, Jacqueline, um, listeners of the Rippling Pages podcast i have had uh, two bishops for the price of one today, which was unintentional by myself. It wasn't a solipsistic um, (laughs) move by me, by any means. So uh, uh, Jacqueline Bishop, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And I greatly appreciate it.
0: And that's it, Series 1 of the Rippling Pages podcast, done and dusted. My thanks to Katerina Vultman, Jane Kalea, Olya Konezovic, Neil Griffiths, Catherine Lockton, Samatar Elmi, and of course Jacqueline Bishop for joining me for Series 1. Of course, my big, big thanks go to you for listening. Until next time, stay safe, and once again, thank you very much for listening to the Rippling Pages podcast.